while we are here to worship our good Father. I'm thankful for God's leading in my heart and my life this morning and this week as I prepared this uh, message and continue to pray for God's leading as I share it with you and ask the hymn, ask God to speak to our hearts through my words. This morning we continue our sermon series looking at all the things God cares about within us. Last week I started this series on Lent looking at pride, and today we're looking at slander. And I think my heart was heavy this morning preparing for this sermon because uh, slander is so prevalent in our world, uh, in our church, in our own hearts. We might think about slander as a special or particular kind of lying, but slander is more than that. Slander is about breaking the ninth commandment, you shall not give false testimony, but it's not first about lying. Somebody can use a lie to slander someone, but slander is about trying to damage someone else, either using lies or using a fact. That's maybe just one part of the whole story. And so this morning we're going to look at three points. First, what does God say about people? What does our good father say about his people whom he loves? Second, why is slander wrong and why do we do it anyway? And third, God's kingdom hope for us and for others. To find out what God says about people, we really need to read the whole Bible. But we could look any number of places and in this Lenten season I decided to look uh, at the suffering of Jesus and pick apart from the Gospel of Luke uh, when Jesus returns to his hometown in Nazareth. And so we're going to read that together. It's Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. And the words will be on the screen behind me. You can follow along there or uh, also uh, in a Bible uh, or uh, in your, on a device you have. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is just after his temptation, so the start of Jesus' ministry. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, Jesus found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All who all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what you have heard, what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he said, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three years and a, three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. 
Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was healed or cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove Jesus out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So far, the reading of God's word. Luke tells us that Jesus went back to Nazareth because that was where he was brought up. He was a son of the not just his family and mother and brothers who would have been in the synagogue that day, but he was a son of the community. And as a son of the community, he was given the honor of doing one of the day's scripture readings in the synagogue. There were several scripture readings that day, but Jesus was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah so that he could do a reading from the prophets and make a small comments on it. It was a big honor and a big responsibility. Jesus stands when he's reading the Torah the pro- and from any book of the Bible. No doubt the whole synagogue would have been standing when they heard uh, the word of God read. Luke tells us that after the reading was done, that Jesus sits down. This doesn't mean that Jesus returned to his seat and sat with his family or sat in the crowd. All the eyes of the synagogue were on him. First century synagogues had a special seat in the middle of the room for the person whose job it was to read the scripture and to share comments on it. This was called the seat of Moses. And you can see one behind me there. That picture is the seat of Moses taken at the synagogue in Chorazin, which is close to Capernaum. And that's from the time of Jesus. Moses was Israel's first teacher. And so Jesus reads from the prophet Isaiah, sits in the seat of Moses, the teacher, and begins teaching. As he talks, as he talks, Luke gives us a play-by-play or a shot-by-shot of what is happening. First, Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. People are amazed at his gracious words. They know that Israel, or excuse me, that Isaiah, at this point in Isaiah's prophecy, was writing to the exiles in Babylon. He was promising that the day of deliverance and redemption and freedom would one day come. And then Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, today the deliverance and the redemption and the freedom that you have been longing for is here. Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, the anointed one from God. Because this was God's promise to the Jews in the Old Testament, the people gathered at the synagogue are overjoyed and hopeful, but also a little bit confused and maybe even shocked. How could Jesus be the, be the anointed one, the chosen one from God? We knew him in diapers. We watched him grow up. Isn't he just Joseph's son? Not some special man from God? Jesus' first comments made his listeners, the synagogue, hopeful and excited, proud of their hometown boy. They're longing for God to deliver them. 
And Jesus said that God will and would. So what happens between this initial excitement and a few days later when the crowd, or a few, not a few days later, a few minutes later, when the crowds turn on Jesus and try and push him off a cliff? What does Jesus say, or what does God say about people that upsets Jesus' community that he grew up with so much? Well, Jesus doesn't stop by saying that today Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Instead, he continues and he references two Old Testament stories, two examples of God overlooking his own people in order to care for a foreigner and an enemy of the Jews. In the first case, the foreigner, Jesus reminds them. He says, I assure you there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when there was that severe famine, but Elijah wasn't sent to any of them. Instead, he was sent to a widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Sidon is where uh, Israel's enemies, the Moabites, lived. Jesus claimed that God's favor was unleashed in him today. Jesus claimed that there will be deliverance and freedom for the oppressed, but also justice and judgment for the oppressors. People who imagine themselves to be oppressed get excited about deliverance. This seems like good news to the Jews listening to Jesus. But then Jesus connects that good news of deliverance to a story of God overlooking his own people in offering freedom and deliverance to someone else, a widow from another nation. Does Jesus mean what I think he means? Is Jesus saying what I think he's saying? As if in answer to their quiet and tense Questions, Jesus continues, referencing God's care and healing for a commander of the army of Aram, another of Israel's enemies. He says, There were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. This is enough. People are done listening. They can connect the dots between the two things that Jesus is saying. First, he says, this is the year of the Lord's favor. It's here now. He's claiming in himself to be the fulfillment of the greatest hope of the Old Testament. Deliverance from oppression, freedom for slavery, redemption from evil, and justice for evildoers. And second, Jesus makes clear that that deliverance, that freedom, that redemption is not only for God's people, the Jews, it's for all people. It's for all people against the power, the oppression, and the evil that stands against God and stands against the kingdom of God. I've gone into great detail in this story, trying to outline well for us God's purpose for all people. Because here at the start of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is proclaiming that his kingdom and his purpose, God's kingdom and God's purpose, is to declare freedom and blessing and redemption and deliverance for all people. Very early in the Gospels, Jesus makes clear, and the Gospel writers make clear, that God's plan and God's kingdom is 
offering deliverance for all people because God has made all people to know him and love him and serve him. And God desires to draw all people to himself, even when they're enemies with each other. For people who were hoping for worldly power and worldly deliverance, for people who were hoping for deliverance from their enemies, for the people that they didn't like, this was the message that they refused to listen to. To put a finer point on it, those in Nazareth, Nazareth had suffered particularly badly under Roman oppression. They wanted justice. They might have even wanted revenge against the Romans. And so a son of their hometown being the agent of God's deliverance and, and justice against Rome, that would have perfectly fit their expectations. But now this son of the city has betrayed them by saying that God's favor was even for their enemies, too. It was even for the Romans. They refused to accept it. This Lenten season, I want us and you not only to know more about the story of Jesus' life and the suffering of Jesus, but for the purposes of this series and this sermon, I want us to think about why. Why was Jesus rejected by his family and loved ones? And why do we slander? Jesus was rejected because Jesus said that God loved people that his community hated. It was because Jesus said that God's love and deliverance were for all people. And the people wanted to keep God's love and God's care for themselves. They wanted to keep God's love and God's care for people like them, who lived like them, who valued like them, and who didn't hurt them. When they heard about God's love for all people, and God's desire to draw all people to himself, they not only refused to hear it, but they wanted nothing to do with the messenger. Jesus was telling them the whole truth about God's plan, but they preferred their biases. They preferred their lies. They preferred their little piece of the truth which allowed them to remain unchanged, which allowed them to remain and sit in a position of moral superiority above their enemies, above those who they disagreed with, above those in different groups. Brothers and sisters, this is the heart of the problem with slander. That God has created each person good and in his image. God has made us all to be integrated wholes so that everything we do and everything we are is connected. And in Jesus, God has clarified that he desires to draw all people to himself. This is the amazing task of redemption that God has been about ever since the beginning and made clear to us ever since the fall into sin, all the way back in Genesis 3. What an amazing honor and freedom that God has for all people to be joined to his son, to be joined within his family, to receive the blessings of freedom and life and joy that belong to God's people 
Freedom and life and joy that are greater than any suffering, any pain, or any evil in our world. Consider for a moment what this says about the immense value that God places on every person. Every single one of his creatures. Consider for a moment the immense value that God places on you. God sent his son Jesus to come and live and give, to empty himself, to suffer, even to die so that you could gain freedom, so that you could gain deliverance, so that you could find a life of joy that although you don't deserve it, it will last you now and into eternity. God values you so much that he emptied himself in order to win your freedom, your life, and your joy forever. But this message, this good news, is not only for you. When Jesus said, or when, when God has said this about all his creatures and all his people, when God has made clear his plan for all his creatures and all his people, Who are you or who am I to say something different? People who slander others use lies or use partial truths in order to set ourselves up above that other person. But when we set ourselves up above another person, we set ourselves in the place of God, or at least between God and that other person, in competition to God and even in enmity toward God. We slander others because we refuse to recognize God's love and care for his creation, even and especially God's love and care for people who we don't care for. We slander others because we refuse to recognize God's love and care for people who harm us, who hurt us, who alienate us, who sin against us. But we have seen God's heart. We have seen God's desire for people who sin against him, who harm his name, even those who who would put him to death. We slander others because our hearts are not aligned with God's heart. And brothers and sisters, this is what so often happens in human groups. It even happens in the church, in our church. It even happens in the denomination, our denomination. It happens anywhere and everywhere where people say truth and then blame others, but show by our actions that we don't have God's whole truth in mind because we are not agents of redemption or restoration. We simply push others down. Slander also happens when we cry out at the hurt that others cause us, but then we blame them. We react in kind. We call them judgmental people and do nothing ourselves to bridge the gap or show a different way for life together as Christians. Slander happens when our intent is not to restore and rebuild and work together, but instead when our attempt is to protect ourselves, to justify ourselves, 
to distance ourselves from others. Again, there are so many more examples of this throughout the Bible, throughout history, and even in our time, our world today, than we have time for. Slander happens when we don't have God's heart for God's people, for his creatures, for all people. From the stories of Potiphar's wife in the Old Testament, of Jeremiah's mistreatment when he spoke God's word to rebellious Israel, and Jesus' own trial with false witnesses, slander shows us how far our hearts are from God's heart. The solution, God's solution, is not to wait for others to change. Jesus' proclamation of freedom and deliverance and new life and joy for all people reminds us of the depth and the breadth of God's active love. This theme only grows as the story of the Bible unfolds and continues. Jesus' First disciples, then later apostles, along with others, grasp this love that God has for all people. It's what motivates the disciples and the apostles and many others to leave so much security and to leave those they love, to leave even their family members, and so many good things. And to give them up, as the Apostle Paul says, to consider them rags for the sake of attaining the good news the goodness of God's kingdom, God's power, God's glory, which he shares with all people. Years after this story, years after Jesus is rejected in his hometown, crucified, died, buried, and then ascended into heaven, years later, the Apostle Paul is still desperate for God's people to understand and internalize God's love for them and God's love for all people. As a result, when he's writing to the Ephesian church, the Apostle Paul tells them, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. What is its name? The family name, the name of God, the name of Jesus. I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. This was the love that animated the early church. This was the love that shocked the world as people saw Christians who should have been enemies treating each other with love. Christians who should have been strangers caring for each other. And Christians even who were strangers to neighbors and to people in other cities, binding up the broken, healing people during a plague, and giving their life, energy, and health 
in love for others. Brothers and sisters, if you and I are filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, then there is no room in our hearts to slander others. It doesn't mean that there's nothing negative ever to say. It doesn't mean that there's no criticisms to be offered. But it means that when we have critiques, when we have criticism, and when we see harm, we address it in such a way as to build the other up. When we are filled to all the measure of the fullness of God, we see Jesus inviting us to a way of life and freedom and deliverance that is for you, but also for the other person. When we are filled up to all the measure of the fullness of God, we are not defined by those who slander us or harm us. You do not need to return the hate, the hate or hurt that others pile on you. You do not need to return evil for evil. Returning evil for evil makes you a slave to the other person's actions. They act, so you must respond. True freedom allows you to access the strength of God, the Spirit, in any and every situation, even when others mistreat you. And if, you're, if you and we are filled to all the measure of the fullness of God, then it is necessary that we accept God's love as it is. His full and free and unbounded love for you, but also his full and free and unbounded love and forgiveness for others who are different from you. Thanks be to God that he has given us this love. That he has not made it just for one person or one kind of people or one group. But when we accept God's love, when we find his goodness, his freedom, his joy, and his life, it is for all who call on the name of the Lord. And so in the silence of the next few moments, I want to invite you to call on the name of the Lord. You can see the slide behind me, a few things to consider. Consider God's great love for you. Consider the person who you think or say evil things about. Consider God's great love for that person too. And humble yourself again before God. Let's call on the name of the Lord together. I invite you to bow your head and consider what God is saying to you. God, through your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Maybe even we look up at the screen again and see the things that we've been invited to consider. Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit.
God, as we humble ourselves once again before you, may we come only and always with awe, with joy, and with thankfulness that you have given us far more than we could ask or imagine. God, give us power together with all your people to grasp how wide and high and long and deep is your great love. And that we may know this love in our inner being in a way that surpasses knowledge, in a way that is deep within us. So that we might be filled up, not with the pressures of this world, not with the words or that have been said to us or the actions that have been done to us or the hurt that has been caused us, but that we might be filled to all the fullness of God that you have for us. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.